My name is Joel Daly. I'm the lead pastor here at the West Haven campus. And uh, I just want to reiterate what Fred said. Uh, A special welcome to you if this is your first time or maybe one of your first times and you're choosing to join us. We're so glad that you're here uh, to worship with us this morning and uh, that we have have one rule. You can't be perfect. Okay, so just don't break that rule and you'll, be, you'll fit in perfectly well here, okay? Don't, be, don't act like you're perfect here because none of us are. So um, I just want to highlight something just real quick. Uh, Sunday Morning Fusion uh, Youth Group meets during the first service over in the youth room. So if you're a student or you have a student, grades 7 through 12, we do that during our first service. And so we invite you uh, to, to join us maybe uh, another week in the first service to be a part of that group, but it's, uh, it's just so good. So uh, we're starting a new series this morning, and I'm super excited about it. But I want to start by asking you a question. Do do you know what an Easter egg is? I'm going to have you raise your hand, an Easter egg, okay? Come on, participate with me, please. Please, okay? Um, Who knows what an Easter egg is in a movie or in media or something like that? Okay, so I'm going to explain what that is, but I'm going to, I'm going to, to explain it, I'm going to show you some examples. But an Easter egg in a movie is something that is kind of seemingly hidden at first, but then, you know, you watch the movie again, you hear the song again, and it pops up and you're like, oh, I didn't notice that the first time, but now I do notice it. So let me explain through a few examples. So this is the first example I have. This is from a movie called Back to the Future. Okay, and uh, I'm not going to explain the whole plot, the whole premise of it, but basically, Marty McFly uh, goes back in the future, goes back in time using a DeLorean, okay, in the flux capacitor, and uh, he, he leaves from the mall. And before he leaves, the mall is called Twin Pines Mall. Okay, but when he gets back, it's called Lone Pine Mall, because when he goes back in time, he runs over a tree, and... Now there's only one tree, right? So this is something that, that you probably wouldn't notice at first, but this is an Easter egg in a movie. Another one. This is from Catch Me If You Can. And this is Leonardo DiCaprio. He, he plays the role of Frank Abagnale Jr. And, and if you know, this is a great movie. You should watch it if you haven't. Uh, but, but he basically cons many, many people, gets millions of dollars, all this notoriety, but then he gets arrested Well, this is based on a true story, and actually this arresting officer right here is Frank Abagnale Jr. So the guy the story is based on, he makes an appearance in the movie. You probably wouldn't notice this. It's an Easter egg, okay? This is the next one. This is pretty obvious. If you've seen any Marvel movie, you know that Stan Lee makes an appearance in every Marvel movie that uh, he, because he's the Marvel creator, right? And so he makes this little cameo, short cameo in each one of his movies, and, and uh, it, before he died, I don't know, they'll probably add him digitally now. But um, this is an Easter egg. It's a little bit more obvious. This is the last one if you're a nerd like me. Um, this, let me sing it for you because I guarantee everyone knows, knows it. Da-da-da-da, right? This is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And uh, this little, that, those four notes right there appear many, many times throughout the entire symphony. And you notice that it starts like this, but then it's called a motif. We call it an Easter egg, right? But it's a motif that appears time and time again through the symphony. You have to listen to it. Uh, You may not notice it at first, but it's there. And this is what we're talking about this morning. And really in this series, we're talking about Jesus in Genesis. 
And although the name of Jesus doesn't appear in the book of Genesis, the truth is is that Jesus is all over the place in the book of Genesis. We just kind of maybe have to look a little closer than reading the words on the page. You know, some people, uh, they think that the Old Testament, it's confusing, it's, it's, you know, not as important as the New Testament because it doesn't talk about Jesus and, and uh, you know, the New Testament is what we should prioritize because that's, what, that's where Jesus is, right? But this is, this is so contrary to the truth. In fact, this is what Jesus said himself in John 5.39. I know it says 3.39, but it's really John 5.39, okay? He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. See, Jesus is affirming this about himself. He's telling the people, you look at the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't even a thing yet. Okay, that Jesus was living the New Testament now. So he's talking to the people and he's talking specifically about the Old Testament. And even more specifically, most likely about the first five books of the Old Testament, which it begins with Genesis. Okay, and he says, you know, you search for eternal life. You think that you'll find it in in these pages, but really... All of these scriptures point to me, to what I did, to what I will do. And so, so the next five weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus is a part of the book of Genesis. And this is the first thing that we're going to see, is that Jesus is creator and redeemer. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. And so the, the, we're going to be in Genesis 1. That's the easiest book to find because you just open your Bible basically to page one, and there's Genesis 1 right there. So if you have your Bibles, or even if you have your Bibles on your phones, I encourage you to open it to Genesis 1. We'll have it up on the screen here, though, uh, either way. So this is the first thing we need to understand, is that Jesus is present from the very first verse of the Bible. Jesus is there. And this is what it says. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you might say, well, where, where, is, where is Jesus in this? I don't see Jesus anywhere. Well, this, this originally was written in Hebrew, okay? That's what the Old Testament predominantly was written in Hebrew, which is an archaic language. But this word God is translated from the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim. And Elohim, what's interesting about this word is that it's actually plural. It's not singular. So in a sense, in the beginning, gods, multiple, created the heavens and the earth. And you might stop me right there and say, look, I've read the Bible. I've been to Alpine. You guys say there's only one God. You say it over and over again. And that's true. But God exists in one being with three persons. Now, if you ask me to explain that, I'll do my best, but I won't probably give you a satisfactory enough answer. This is a mystery. This is a paradox that we see all throughout Scripture because there is one God, one being, one creator who exists in three persons. You know, some people say, uh, to describe the Trinity, they say it's like water, Right? You have three states of water. You have the liquid, you have the solid, you have the gas. But they're all essentially the same thing. I am Joel. I am one being. But I'm a son, I'm a husband, and I'm a father. Right? I, I play different roles depending on who I'm with. So this kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of the Trinity, but really 
I just promise you, you can study it your whole life. You're never going to understand it. That's, that's part of the mystery of who God is. And so in the beginning, God, God the Spirit, God the Father, and God Jesus created the heavens and the earth. And look at what John says in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, he says this. In the beginning, he starts it the same way. The Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now this word, you notice it's capitalized. It's the word logos, and it represents Jesus, the Messiah. That's who John is talking about. And this is cool because, again, you see the, the marks of the Trinitarian relationship because Jesus is God's expression of who he is in humanity through the power of the Spirit. Again, the three working together. One being working toward one purpose and three separate persons. And the Word brings light. Just like in Genesis 3. Let there be light, and there was light. And then his life brought light to everyone. So Genesis 3 more is talking about like the physical light that we see that's shining really bright in my face right now. Or when you go out and look in the sun, right? But it, even more so than that, John clarifies that not only this physical light, but this spiritual light in our lives that Jesus shows us who we really are. Okay? And this verse in John 1-4, I, I think you should read it for yourself, but I'm going to point out a few important things to understand about who Jesus is, about the nature of who Jesus is. Okay? This is the first thing, is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was not created he is and always has been. The Word already existed in the beginning. You know, we can't really wrap our minds around this because God is outside of our linear time. But Jesus is, always has been, and always will be. The second thing is that Jesus is fully God. Jesus isn't God Jr. He, he, he's not a mini-God He's not, one of, he's not one of many gods. Jesus is fully God. This is what this is saying. Everything was created in him, through him. The word was God. The word was with God. Jesus is fully God. He, he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. You know, everything was created through him and nothing was created except through him. Jesus created everything that we can see, that we can't see. He's the person who created it all. And then, obviously, as we focused on, if you were with us Friday night, Jesus is powerful. You know, some of us view Jesus as, as sitting in a pasture petting a lamb, right? And he's just, he's just chilling and he's, you know, all nice. And, and Jesus is nice. That is Jesus. But Jesus is powerful, Jesus is strong. Jesus has the capability to create and sustain everything. And he created, his, his, the pinnacle of his creation was us, was everyone in this room. Humanity was the pinnacle of his creation. As we continue in Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So here we see a little bit more of the plurality of, of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us and are, be like us. So God created us in his image. And what does this mean? It means that we have 
that the way that we are was given by God. That we have the same priorities. We're creative just like God. We can love just like God. We have, this, we have feelings and emotions and choices and autonomy just like God. We get all these things from him. You know, God didn't create robots. He created us with very real choices, right? We, we have choices that we make every day. We can decide what we want for lunch. We can decide where we're going to go on vacation. We can decide what we want to do for our job. We can decide all of these things. God created you with a mind. Not, you're not a robot. We're made in his image. See, this is the next thing that we see, though. It's that humanity believed a lie and sin entered the world. Have you ever believed a lie? Yes, you have. Okay, let's get that out of the way. You have believed a lie. We still continue to believe lies about ourselves and about the world. For me, I'm the youngest of four children. Um, and the lie that I believed, and I was young, so give me, don't laugh too hard. Um, I thought that to be a man, you had to grow feathers first. And then you'd shed the feathers off. And I believe this because my older siblings are rude. And they told me every time they saw a feather on the ground, they were like, oh, look, a boy lost his feathers. They're a man now. You know, I was like, well, why don't I ever see a boy with feathers? And they said, well, you got to stay inside while you have the feathers. But then after, you know, then you'll shed the feathers and there's some extra, right? I mean, I was only 17, okay? Don't, don't, no, just kidding. I was five or four or something. But I believe this lie. In fact, my grandma even got in on it. One time I was on a walk and she saw a feather and she said, oh, look, a little boy lost his feathers. And I was like, my grandma says it. It's got to be true, right? She wouldn't lie to me. This is silly, but, you know, we, we all tend to believe lies. You know, some of them big, some of them important, some of them not so important. We all believe lies. In Genesis 1 and 2, everything was good. Everything was created in God's order. And then we get to Genesis 3, which is perhaps the the most tragic chapter in all of the Bible. And it says this, Genesis 3, 1 through 5, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve sees that lie, because that's a lie right there. And she says, Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. Okay, and then goes on. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And Satan again, the serpent, lies again. You won't die, he replied. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So this is the first time that we're introduced to Satan in the Bible, God's adversary. And he comes to deceive, to lie to Adam and Eve. Satan is the father of one thing that the Bible attributes to him. He's the father of lies. That's what he's the father of. That's what he is the creator of. 
Now there's, I'm gonna be honest with you, just like I have questions about the Trinity, I have questions about this too, just like you probably do. Why was the serpent there? Why would God put the tree there? You know, all these, all these things that we ask ourselves. But, but this is the thing. Again, put yourself in the shoes of Adam and Eve. They knew that God had given them parameters. He put them in this beautiful place to cultivate, to, to enjoy. And he said, but, but just don't do that one thing. Just don't do that one thing. But they ended up doing it. You know, Satan is shrewd. A lot of us think of Satan as like, you know, the caricature of, of the pitchfork and the red tights. That's not, that's not who Satan is. Satan is extremely uh, cunning and wise and smart. And he's going to go after your weak points because he knows what your weak points are. And this is why he's so dangerous. You know, and the sad thing about this, this is that, you know, Satan says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God. But the thing is, is remember what verse 126 says, we're already like God. We're made in the image of God. Really what this is saying is that you will be on the same par, on the same level with God. And through doing this, you're going to be more like the serpent, more like Satan, than like God. That's the irony in this statement. We didn't, Adam and Eve didn't become more like God. They became more like Satan, right? Because that's what Satan wanted from them. You know, before we grill Adam and Eve too much, though, um, you know, all of us in life, we, we, we have serpents. We have lies that we tell ourselves. We have lies that we believe. Maybe it's friends and family that tell us these lies, to feed these lies about ourselves. You're not good enough. No one will ever like you. You'll never get married. You'll never have kids. You're a loser, right? We have these lies that people feed to us. Maybe it's people who, who distort uh, the Bible, what the Bible says. That's a dangerous lie. And that's why I tell everyone in here, don't take my word for it this morning. Really, go, go look for yourself. And, and base, in what, I, in what I'm saying this morning, really God's truth, is this really what the Bible says? Because too often we say, oh, that's a nice guy talking about the Bible. He must be right. We give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't look into it ourselves, and that's how we get to believe a lie. Maybe uh, it's the news. Maybe that's what lie is feeding you, this lie of fear, right, in your life. Maybe it's social media, Maybe it's conspiracy theories, right? We all love a good conspiracy theory. But we believe these lies in our lives. This is a popular lie. We tell ourselves, you know, above everything, God wants me to be happy. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I will. That's not God's highest priority for you, is your happiness, that's, that's just not God's highest priority. You know, we talk so much here at Alpine Church about God's grace and amen. And we're gonna continue to focus on that and talk about that grace because it, it's endless, it's bottomless grace that we could never even understand. But then let's not forget though that God has also called us to obedience. And I'm not talking about legalism, which is earning God's favor through doing good things. 
I'm talking about when we understand the amount of grace and mercy that God has treated us with, we are naturally going to treat others with that. It makes me sick when Christians are hateful toward people and, and they, you know, they, they, uh, they just disgrace the name of Jesus and the grace of Jesus through legalism. I'm not saying that. It's grace, but it's also truth. It's also obedience. God has called us to obedience. And if you think following Jesus is just going to make you happy and you're going to have rainbows and butterflies the rest of your life, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said you're going to have trials. You're going to have hardships. But take heart because I have overcome all of those on the cross. I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus said. And when we don't obey Jesus, when we go our own way, when we sin, which that's what sin is, is going our own way, there are consequences. And this is exactly what happened in Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Then he said to the woman, this is God speaking, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. I mean, these are pretty harsh words. You know, but in this moment, this gives you a picture of why there's, there, there's brokenness, why there's pain, why there's hardship, why there's death, why there's suffering and evil in this world is this moment right here when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and there's consequences for those actions. You know, although we're still image bearers of God, we're still God's pinnacle of his creation, we're still his masterpiece, we, we have this now sin that weighs us down, each one of us, every, every one of us. No one's exempt. That's why I said there's no perfect people allowed here, because there's no perfect people. You know, we trust our, ourselves, our own opinions over God and his opinions. We justify our mistakes and our sin. We say, you know what, like, I'm not as bad as that person. At least I didn't do what they did. Or even worse, you know, Hey, everyone's doing this. God, God wouldn't punish this many people. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God will, there will be consequences for our sin, for our disobedience. Genesis 3.23. Going on in the story. So the Lord God banished them, Adam and Eve, from the garden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of Adam and Eve. Right? They just made this, this little, all they did was this little thing. But it had such big consequences. It had such big consequences. They sinned, they disobeyed. And this is what sin is. This is what sin does. One person said it like this. Sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd go. It'll keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. You know, talk to people who have made great mistakes in their lives and, and sin greatly. You know what? They, I've never had a person say to me this. You know, I'm so glad that I cheated on my spouse. 
It's the best decision I ever made. Right? No one says that. I'm so glad that I cut corners at work and was dishonest and got fired. Best thing, best decision I've ever made. Right? People, people don't say things like this. I'm so glad that I am addicted to drugs and lost my family and don't get to see my kids anymore. No one says this. But this is what sin is. What starts is something that's little. It snowballs into something that's so much bigger. It'll take you farther than you thought you'd go, keep you there longer than you intended to stay, and cost you more than you ever expected to pay. So the last 10 minutes have been a bummer, right? (laughs) But there's hope. There's hope. Because in spite of what we did, in spite of what Adam and Eve did, God is redeeming it. This is what it says in Genesis 3.15. God now is speaking to the serpent, to Satan. And he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Where's Jesus in this? Well, this is the first time in scripture, Genesis 3.15, that we actually see the gospel The good news. Because what God is saying is that he will strike your head. Jesus will strike Satan's head. And Satan will strike his heel. Which one is worse? Getting hit in the foot or getting hit in the head? Well, obviously, getting hit in the head. Getting struck in the head. And what what, uh, is being prophesied right here is that Jesus is going to be the redeemer of all humanity. Jesus will go to the cross. He will die. That's the hill strike. But then he will rise from the dead, defeat death. That's the head strike. Jesus is the clear winner. And what's so cool about this is that Jesus is prophesied redeemer from the very beginning of the Bible. Right after Adam and Eve make this huge mistake, God immediately begins the redemption plan. He immediately begins to redeem his people. And you know what's cool? Even though Adam and Eve messed up, God says that the Redeemer will come through Eve, will come through humanity. So God doesn't say, you know what, humans, you screw everything up, so I'm just going to do it myself. No, he, he says, I'm going to send a human. I'm going to send someone who, who is human to take care of this problem. And obviously, that's Jesus. Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent and defeat death once for all time. It says this in Hebrews 2.14. This is in the New Testament. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. You see, through Jesus dying, he took the power of death away from Satan. He nailed it to the cross. And the beautiful thing is this, is that what Paul tells the church, we are made right with God, with our sin, with our brokenness, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. You know what this doesn't say? Is It doesn't say we're made right with God when we uh, try our hardest, do all the good things that we can do, and then you know, trust Jesus for the rest. That's not what this says. What this says is that we're made right by placing our faith in Jesus. Some people say it's Jesus plus nothing. 
Not Jesus plus my good works, my own efforts. It's Jesus alone. And then the beautiful thing is that this is available to anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. God's grace reaches deeper than our brokenness. And so maybe you hear this this morning and, and, and it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's not easy, but it is so simple. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, our faith in the finished work of the cross that Jesus went to, took our sin, took our shame, took our brokenness, everything that we had done wrong, and he paid the penalty that we deserved. And then he didn't just do that, he didn't just die, but he rose from the grave. He defeated death once for all time, and through that relationship, we can be made right with God as well.